If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them, open them to Genesis chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to use a phone, a Bible app, or whatever you would need to, to go to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be bouncing around in it a bit today. The Bible begins with these three words, in the beginning. Those words are where we get the word Genesis from. The book of Genesis is the introduction to the Bible. It's a story that is foundational, mysterious, and has captivated billions of people for thousands of years. It's a story about a God who creates and sustains, a God who entrusts and forgives, a God who joins and loves. It's about a God who delights to share, and a God who, when things go in a direction other than the one he wants, doesn't just give up or start over. He rolls up his sleeves and he gets to work. We're beginning this new series on the book of Genesis today, and I cannot tell you how excited I am. We're going to be spending three months here in the first 11 chapters, and I want to take a moment here and explain why. If Genesis is the introduction to the Bible, then chapters 1 to 11 are the prologue. They tell us the setting and the main characters for the story. In this series, we're going to take a close look at what these 11 chapters say about God, about humanity, and about spiritual beings. These are the main characters of the story, and we're going to dive in deeper maybe than you've ever been before. And my hope is that we will come to understand the world around us, to understand ourselves, our God, and the conflict we're all caught up in much much better than ever before. But before I begin, I want to give a warning and a plug. Some of these are stories you've heard many times. Please don't tune out, because I can guarantee that you're going to hear something new. The Bible is a stranger and more interesting book than you know. Most of the time, when a passage has a real strange piece to it, we don't dig into it during a sermon. Because usually there's no benefit to that other than just finding it interesting for those of us that are Bible nerds. But Genesis 1 to 11 is full of these strange pieces. And what's become clear, Pastor Ben and I, in the last year or so, is that they actually are vitally important to the story of the Bible. So we're going to be telling you new things about stories you already know. And you may find that you never are able to read them the same way again. If you have any questions or objections, please feel free to talk to me about them. But going over all this is a big part of what we're going to be doing during Sunday school, which starts next week. So I really want to drive this home. If you're intrigued, if you want to dive deeper into Genesis, if you have questions about what we're talking about, make sure to be here at 9 o'clock next week. And go to Sunday school with us. So this morning we're looking at Genesis chapter 1. Now this is a bit of a, a weird sermon because it's not just looking at Genesis 1, it's also an introduction to our series. So we're going to be taking on a lot this morning. That's why we gave you a note sheet. You'll find that in the bulletin. I was going to give you blanks to fill in, but then I figured that might be hard to do without pencils 
or hard surfaces, so we just filled them in for you. All right, let's dive in. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now everyone knows what comes next. We're about to hear about the six days of creation. I, I want to go over them quickly, but then we're going to really hone in on three of them, particularly on day four. But the first thing I want you to notice here at the beginning is that he is creating the heavens and the earth. Both of them are being described in this story. I want you to remember that because it's going to become important later. Now, without looking at the Bible open in front of you, I want to see how good your Bible memory is. Who can tell me what is created on day one? Does anyone remember? Light. light. He creates light and he separates so that we get morning and evening. And it's important to notice here that God isn't creating the stars. And that's because the ancients did not believe that light came from the stars. They believed that light came from God and the stars sort of reflected that light. That he used them to shine his light. We're not spending much time here except to say that day one isn't about the solar system. It's about the separation of day and night and giving a rhythm of life to the world. It's about time. All right, what does he create on day two? The first land Water. and the sea. Not the land and the sea. He creates the sky, the waters, and he separates them and he creates the sky. How about day three? The land. The land, yep. Plants, trees, fruits, vegetables. Day four? Come on, you guys know that, that you all read this and memorized this list before, right? The stars and the sun and the moon. Yeah, stars, sun, and moon. Are you cheating, John? Day five? He just read it too well. That's the problem. Creates the fish and the birds. And then day six is the big one. What's he make on day six? Makes land animals and humans. I didn't really think you were cheating, John. Sorry to call you out like that. And then on day seven, he rests. And this is it. That's the seven days of creation, the story of Genesis 1. Now, I want to hone in on days two, four, and six. And they're going to help us to see a little bit more than we've ever noticed before and to, under, and to help us understand how all of this applies to our lives today. We're going to start with day six. Read with me verses 26 to 28, or just listen. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. We learn something very beautiful and important about God here. God has all 
the authority. And the thing of it is, when the authority is all yours, you get to exercise it however you want to. What we learn about God is that he likes to share. <clears throat> he delegates his authority over the earth to us. He's still in charge. It's still his. But he gives us a responsibility and the privilege of being the ones through whom he will rule the world. He wants to rule through us. He wants us to be a part of his work. And this is still true of God today. God has the power through miracles to tell everyone the gospel, to care for every need, to heal every wound. But he prefers to work through us, to let us join him in the work of redemption, to let us participate through service and worship. That's amazing. When we serve, when we love, when we stand up for truth in a compassionate way, we are doing the work God has set aside and called us to. Whether you're a parent, a spouse, a caregiver, a student, a teacher, a farmer, a leader, a servant, or a worker of any kind, all of these things that we are called to are examples of us doing the work God wants to do. He's just doing it through us. Does your job matter? You bet it does. Of course it does. This world belongs to God, and one of the ways he rules it is through you. It's his delight to work with and through you, and that is amazing. And now I want to jump backwards a little bit. I want to look at day two. Before we do, though, I want to ask you this question. If I were to ask you to point to the heavens, what would that look like? Where would you point? If I said point to the heavens, you point up, right? I want you to keep that in mind. So verses 6 through 8. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Let's stop and say a prayer for a moment for whatever is happening there. Father, we, uh, we don't know what's going on with the sirens. We do pray, though, for whatever has happened to require them, be it a fire or an injury of some kind. Lord, we ask for mercy, for grace, and for healing. Amen. Okay, the thing to remember about day two is that the book of Genesis was written by Moses about 3,500 years ago. And the events told in it all happened long beforehand. So the way they saw the world was different. And I want you to notice some things in these verses, in the day two verses. There's a vault between the waters to separate them, and the vault is called sky. Now the Israelites believed that the sky was sort of this clear dome that separated the earth from the heavens. They thought that this dome was, was held up, propped up by mountains which was why going up a mountain was a really good way to get closer to God. And they believed that above the dome, the sky, was more water, and that above that water was the heavens, the dwelling place 
of God. So they believed that we had the earth, the sky, which was this clear dome propped up by mountains, and above that were the heavens. And here's why this is important. You need to know that for them, the heavens were a physical place above them. Now, while you might think that that sounds silly, when I asked you to point to the heavens, you all did point up. There's something in us that recognizes what they recognize. That as they thought of the universe, they thought of God dwelling in the heavens above them. Now, with that in mind, let's look at day four. Verses 14 to 19. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. Now when we hear about lights in the sky, stars are what we think of, and when we think of stars, we think of balls of gas burning millions of miles away in the depths of space. But and this is so important. The people at this time did not know what we know about stars. They didn't know what space was. They believed that the sky above them was a solid dome. And they believed that these stars, these brilliant and beautiful lights, were spiritual beings who dwelled in the heavens. I want to say that again. They believed that these stars, these lights, were spiritual beings who dwelled in the heavens. Have you ever wondered why the Bible doesn't seem to talk about the creation of angels? Hasn't that seemed odd? Well, it does. It talks about it right here. This is it. God is creating what Scripture calls His divine counsel. Now, you may have never heard that term before, the divine counsel. It might be a surprise, and if that's the case, that's okay, but, but stick with me for a moment. In your notes, you'll see a passage from Psalm 89, verses 5 to 7. Let me read this. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness, too, in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the counsel of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. There are a few things I want you to notice here. There's an assembly of heavenly beings who cannot compare with the Lord. A council of holy ones that greatly fear God. They're angels. And they're referred to in scripture in a bunch of ways. Sometimes they're called angels. Other times, lights. Sometimes they're called the divine council. Sometimes they're called the sons of God. So here's what's happening. Remember in verse 1 when I told you that you needed to keep in mind that God is creating the heavens and the earth. Well, here in day 4, 
He's creating the beings who will dwell in the heavens. He's creating the angels. And in the same way that God shared his authority with human beings on earth, he shares it with angels in heaven. And he puts them in charge of heavenly things. They separate day from night, which means they're in charge of time. They serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And God is going to use them to give light to the earth. Day four shows us God doing what God loves to do. He's taking his own authority and he's bringing in his beloved creatures to do his work with him, to do it through them. He's the one in charge, but he's allowing the angels to participate in his plans. They get to oversee the workings of the heavens as we get to oversee the workings on earth. He's entrusting them with tasks because that's what our God loves to do. He loves to empower his own creatures to join him. Now you might be wondering, what on earth does this have to do with us? Remember I told you there are interesting, weird corners in some of these passages that you may not have heard before. What could this have to do with us? Why would this be important? Sure, it might be interesting, but what does it matter to our lives today? First of all, it sets the stage for the Bible. We speak a lot about the kingdom of God. These stories are the backdrop, the support of that theme. And without getting the backdrop right, we're never going to really get the calling that God has for us today. Because here in Genesis 1, we see that God created the heavens and the earth, and we see that he created angels and mankind. And that earth was God's kingdom, that he would rule through human beings. And as we go forward, we're going to see that there is a place on earth called Eden that's perfect. And God gives human beings the job of making the rest of the earth just like Eden. They're to cultivate the garden and to subdue the rest of the earth to be just like it. To rule over God's kingdom on earth. And as we move a little bit further into the story, we're going to see that this kingdom is stolen from him. Because one of those angels is overcome by jealousy and falls, and he tempts mankind to fall as well. He tells them that if they just disobey God, they'll become like God. They'll be even greater rulers than they were ever meant to be. And as a result of that fall, all of them are going to be kicked out of the garden. But God gives a promise to humanity that one day they're going to be redeemed and raised up above the angels. And then because of their jealousy, we're going to see as we move a little bit further into these early chapters in Genesis, that because they're angry at being kicked out of the garden, these fallen angels are going to try to mix themselves with human beings so they can have a part of God's promises again. And because they want to get back in the garden, we're going to hear that human beings are going to try to build a tower so tall that they can reach heaven themselves. And as punishment for that, God is going to scatter them. He's going to turn over the nations of the world to be ruled by these angels. The earth will be a kingdom of death ruled over by the evil one and his fallen ones. But God will start a new nation of people, one that will have him and only him as its ruler. And he will promise them one day that they will be more numerous than the stars in the sky. 
In other words, that they will one day rule over the earth and the heavens. And it will be through that people that God will perform his greatest miracle. What the angels wanted to do for selfish and evil purposes, God will do to redeem humanity. He will take on human flesh, and he will overcome the kingdom of the evil one, the kingdom of death, and establish a kingdom of eternal life, his kingdom forever. And what every human being must do is choose one kingdom or the other, the stolen kingdom or the kingdom of God. And when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are choosing the kingdom of God. We're forgiven for every sin, for every action or decision we've made to participate in the kingdom of death. And we're granted eternal citizenship in the kingdom of life. And then God uses us as his ambassadors, members of his kingdom, who are supposed to work to make the earth like it was meant to be. We'll never get this done. It won't be done until God does it when Jesus returns. But through us, he's making little corners of it his again. This is our calling, our privilege as human beings. One day, we will rule over all of it as we were always meant to. The evil one caused the fall by promising Adam and Eve that they will be like God. And so to utterly humiliate him, God sent his son to take on human flesh, a human being who's God, who through his death and resurrection and by the power of the Holy Spirit, makes all of God's people like him. And this war between the kingdoms is being waged all around us, all the time. And here's the most amazing thing of it all. God created you, specifically you, here today, on purpose. He wants to work to redeem through you. You are created on purpose and for a purpose. Now this might all sound very foreign to you. You might think, I've read the Bible many times and this sounds very different. The reason that might be the case is because we have not seen what is a very important theme all the way through the scriptures, this theme of two kingdoms that we see beginning here in these first 11 chapters of Genesis. And what I really want to do in the coming weeks and months is dive in deeply to better understand the story that we are part of, the world that we live in, and what all of this has to do with us today. But as you leave today, this is what I want you to remember. You were made for a purpose, on purpose. You are one of the people God wants to work through to redeem, to change, to transform this world into what it was always meant to become. He doesn't make mistakes. He didn't make you by accident. He made you. He delights in you. He loves you. And he's given you a purpose. My hope is that this time, digging into these stories, will help us to better understand the purpose God has made all of us for. Please pray with me. Father God, we come before you thankful for blessings. We thank you for your word, and we recognize that it is richer than we will ever be able to fully understand.
There are depths to it. We will never be able to plumb. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the story that we are part of. That we would encounter these stories anew and be changed by them. That our hearts would be inflamed by a passion for your word and a love for you. And that you would help us to know, to really know, the purpose you have made us for. And that we would rest easy in you. We pray these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.